This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you here today. Glad all of you made it through the obstacle course out this way. If you hadn't seen it, it's quite a deal. I want to say thank you to all of you who've been very patient through this. Mike Tyson, raise your hand. This is Mike. Mike's crew was the ones who fixed this, and they worked effortlessly. It was incredible what all they do. So thanks to Mike and his guys, we got the heat on Friday night. Got a few few more days of some things, so we appreciate your prayers and just all the hanging in there, and we'll, we'll get back to normal. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. Well, I'd like for you to get this because I want you to see the Bible today. It's very important that you see the Word of God here to, to make sure I'm telling the truth because there's going to be some things said today that may yank you around a little bit, but I want you to understand my heart and all this that as I'm fasting, God is working in my life right now and doing some things. Uh, last week, I, I shared a couple things. I, I believe in 2015, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see a year of, of great blessings. We're going to see, I believe, even in America, where there'll be little, little bitty fires that'll start going up all over our land. And before those uh, long, those little fires will combine with one, and there's going to be force in America again with the body of Christ. I believe it's going to be strong. But I also believe it'll be a year of tragedies. And I said that last week. And you just look at some of the things that have already occurred. The airplane that went down. All the, the stuff that happened in Paris last week. And so the thing is in saying that is not to, to speak fear on anyone. But say, live for Jesus. Let's live for him unlike any other time in our life. Now, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, I, I'm going to talk about fasting a little bit today, and I'm going to go from a slant that I don't know I've ever talked about this before, but man, the Bible really became alive to me. In, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And in each one of those situations, not one time did he say, if. If you pray, if you give, or if you fast. In other words, it wasn't optional for believers. This was something that God expects us to do. And giving, praying, and fasting are all three distinct spiritual exercises that he wants us to do. It will take great discipline, and it will take great faith to walk out any of those. But I believe Jesus tapped into something here that's very significant that we get a hold of it. Now, if you hadn't fasted, I, I believe God will speak to your heart today, and he's going to give you some insight on some things. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate also, and gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now you may have heard this little statement before, the fastest way to a, a man's heart is through his stomach. But I believe evidently here, the, ne the devil knew this works on women also. Because if you'll look here, one of the, 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 the main ingredients in the first sin that ever took place with mankind was an appeal to the stomach. He went after her stomach, her, her, her cravings on the inside. And so you can actually say 
food was involved with the first sin. Now I want you to watch how this progresses. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number 25. Genesis 25. You know, every one of us have cravings of the flesh. And I believe with all my heart the Lord is wanting us to get to a place through His help and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that we can resist them. That we can stand against these things and, and live for God without being in bondage to anything. Uh, Genesis 25 is a passage about a guy named Isaac. He had a wife named Rebekah, and they had twin sons. The oldest was named was Esau, and the youngest was named was Jacob. So begin with me just in verse 28. I want to read this one verse here. And it said, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, look real close that, that the very trap that got Adam and Eve was food. Did you see the reason that, that Isaac was partial to Esau? Was because of food here. In Genesis 27, it says, he loved the savory food that he fixed him. And so just because of food, it got daddy too. Now look what takes place next. We go to verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now understand that to a Jew, the eldest son would have the birthright. And the birthright was very significant. It was very important that you had that because you got uh, uh, the majority of all your dad's inheritance. And so Jacob says to his older brother here, sell me your birthright. Verse 32, and Esau said, look, I am about to die. I am to the point of death. How many of you have ever said something like that? I'm so hungry I could die. How many of you got teenagers that are coming home right now and saying, we're about to starve to death, feed me. I'm so hungry, I'm weak, I'm about to fall over. You know, I think I'm safe to say this here. There's probably not one of us in this room who've ever been to the point of death because we're starving because of our, our society here in America. We may be hungry a little bit, but to the point of death. And so this is the mindset of Esau. I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, I swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate he drank and he arose. Now, just those three words there, he ate, drank, and arose. I want you to keep those in your thoughts this morning because we're going to come back with those here later on. So it says, he ate, he drank, he arose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now you think about this. When Esau ate the food that Jacob gave him, it satisfied that craving for a moment. Just for a little while. But think about this, that Esau sold his birthright for food and for drink. And when you look at this, he had no self-discipline. He had no self-control even with his appetite. Now, here's the double question for each one of us today. 
What will you give up in your life because you have no self-control? Better yet, what have you given up in your life because you have no self-control? And I believe that's a question that every one of us have got to begin to ask ourselves because I believe God wants to bless us in areas of our life, but because our lack of discipline, it's very difficult for Him to do that. Look with me a couple chapters or books over in the book of Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, and I want you to see how this continually flows throughout the Bible. Genesis, or Numbers chapter 11. And this is a passage of the Israelites. And remember, they've come out of Egypt where they were slaves. And so God is moving them toward the promised land. So we pick up in verse number 1. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. If complaining displeased the Lord back then, do you think complaining displeases the Lord today? I do. I really do. I, I believe people are one of two ways. We're complainers or we're grateful. Now, which one are you? See, these are questions I have to ask myself. I don't want to be a complainer. So it displeased God, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of their camp. Just literally consumed them because they complained. I don't know, what do you think about this? Is if we came to church one Sunday morning and, and the praise and worship team began to pray and the presence of God came in here and everybody that was a complainer just... They're gone. I don't know about you, but it get my attention real quick in a way that I don't want to be a complainer. I don't want to do that. Verse 2. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taber or Burning, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the multitude among them, they yielded to intense cravings. What were they yielding to? Well, look at the end of verse 4. And, the, and so the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So you see right here, what they yielded to was the food. The Amplified said, They lusted greatly with familiar and dainty food. Verse 5. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And so when you look at here, the, the thing that got them, another reference of food. Now we see food was one of the downfalls to Adam and Eve. Food was a downfall to Isaac, to Esau. And now even the Israelites here. And they murmured and they complained about food. But look at verse 6. But now our whole being is dried up. We have nothing left. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So I want you to note something there. They did have something to eat. And it was in the form of manna. But they begin to bellyache and they begin to complain because they said, God, that's not what we want. And so you start tracking throughout history right here how the lust for food got, got people over and over and over. All the ones we've already referenced. Now, 
if it displeased God because of the lack of self-control the Israelites had, do you think it still displeases God today when we live with a lack of self-control? When we begin to lust and we begin to crave things just as they do? See, God never intended for our body to be our master. He intended for our body to be a servant, but Jesus is the only thing that's supposed to be our master. And when we start allowing even food or, or drink to dominate us, we've replaced Jesus with food. Now, a great reference to that is, is Romans chapter 8. If you look at that, there's a battle that goes on all the time between our flesh and the things of the Spirit. And this is exactly what's going on. Now go back with me or to, to your right, way into the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to give you a reference of a, a, a chapter in the Proverbs today. Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 3. It has to do with self-control. And Proverbs 23, verse 2 says, If you're a man given to appetite or if you're a big eater, put a knife to your throat. He didn't hold any punches back when he said that. Now, when I look at this, he's talking about indulgence. And, and only when a person possesses self-control from the Holy Spirit can he be able to overcome stuff like this. But I believe this is important that we hear this because you're getting ready to tap into some things here in 1 Corinthians 10. That's going to be eye-opening to us. Now, in this passage here, the Apostle Paul's the writer, and he uses the Israelites as an example of immaturity and people that lived without self-control. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, I don't want you to forget or be ignorant, that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, the first four verses here, you're going to see the word all. And he said, all of them passed under the cloud. So everywhere the cloud went, all of them went. They followed the cloud. And all of them passed through the Red Sea. Verse number 2, or 3. All eight of the, or verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the spiritual rock, the same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Now, the reason I want to highlight the word all there, every one of them had the same protection, the same provisions, and the same opportunities. Every one of them. Verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And the reason I highlight that there is, remember, all of them had the same opportunities, but yet God wasn't very pleased with the, most of them or the majority. Verse 6. Now these things become our examples. These things become me and you's warnings. This is why the Apostle Paul is writing this, and he said, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So he was telling us, let's not lust, let's not covet, let's not crave evil or carnal or the fleshly things that they lusted for. Now remember, who was this written for? Me and you. It was a warning to us. Verse 7, And do not become idolaters as were some of them. 
Now, the word idolater or idolatry in itself means anything that we put above God, a false god. What could be a false god? My money, my possessions, food, drink. Every one of these could be a false god. Now, as, as born-again believers, God has given me and you great freedoms. But one of our freedoms that he never intended us to have is to flirt around with idolatry because idolatry is a huge thing with Father God. It's so big, it was the very first commandment of the ten. And he said, there shall be no other gods before you. And so right here, he, he starts telling us, don't lust after evil or carnal things they did. And then immediately he jumps into idolatry. Now look how this verse ends. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink. And they rose up to play. Very similar to the same words that were the downfall of Esau in Genesis 25. And so when you look at this, what he begins to tell us here. In verse 6 he addressed. Don't let yourself get caught up in evil things that you desire. And then in verse 7, he deals with idolatry. And then the very next thing that he talks about is eating and drinking. So was he warning me and you right here that part of the evil things that we could get caught up in was eating and drinking? And did the Apostle Paul go so far as to say right here that eating and drinking is a form of idolatry? I believe he was. I believe that's exactly what he was telling us. That one of the downfalls of the Israelites was food. Because the next verse he talks about, they got over into sexual immorality, which becomes idolatry. They got over into tempting Christ and complaining. And, and, and thousands were consumed because of it. So are you telling us that God doesn't want us to eat? No, I'm not telling you that. Actually, I believe God, He likes when we eat. He likes when we feast. We talked about the prodigal son a few weeks ago. And remember when he came home, the father threw a great feast. The issue that I find right here that he's talking about is when we start becoming dominated by eating and drinking. When it literally begins to run my life. It controls me. Now, in saying that, is there any food in your life or drink that's got you in a headlock? And what I mean by that is you can't tell it no. Every time that thought of that comes around, you give in to it. Every time you go by Starbucks, it's like there's a magnet. Before long, you're just in the drive-up window. And you know what it's easy to say? The devil made me do it. The only devil that made you do it is the one you're looking at in the mirror. And a lot of times people will argue and say, I don't have a problem with this. But why are you arguing about it if you don't have a problem with it? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is some of the stuff the Lord's dealing with me right now. Actually, the big thing that he's working on me with is, is a thing called coffee. I'm telling you, I've been off coffee for the last week. And it, is, it has been a battle. I'm in a crazy battle. 
between yawning and, I mean, feeling lackadaisical at times, and my wife has accused me several times of being grouchy. And when she said that, I kind of looked at her like, grouchy, me? And then I realized she's probably telling the truth. And so you know what I begin to see right there? This thing called coffee was dominating me. And even this morning, you know, a lot of times Sunday morning, man, I am, I am ready to go. I'm up and running, man. When I come in here all day long, I got one gear and that's fast. But I wonder now if part of that gear in the gear called coffee, that I'm all coffeeed up. Some of you always thought, man, pastor's full of the Holy Spirit. Call Folgers. <laughs> and so don't, don't think I'm not preaching to myself. I mean, he's really working on me in this area and saying, is, is this the only way you can get going each day? Because if it is, something's wrong. How many of you have ever said this or this is you? Don't raise your hand. I can't ever get anything done unless I've had a glass of orange juice. So orange juice has got you in a headlock. I'm no good until I've had six dots of peppers. Well, I hope you're good after six dots of peppers. See, he's given me and you a great insight right here. Now, keep your finger right there because I'm going to come back to it. But I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24. And this is the passage that who really, 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 really begin to work on me. And this is why I don't have a hard time preaching on this. You guys know if you come to church here, you're going to get the Word of God and you're going to get the truth. And if the truth punches you right between the eyes, I didn't do that. It's the Word of God, okay? So get ready. This is really good here. Matthew 24, verse 36. Notice this is red words, Jesus talking. It says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now what he's talking about here is the second coming of Jesus. And he makes it real clear here. No one knows the day or the hour. No one, not even the angels, only God. You know, the, the Bible's clear that it'll give us some, some seasons that we can have an, kind of an idea of it. But as far as the actual day and hour, no one knows. And the reason for that is the Lord knew that if we knew that he was coming back on April 15th to 2015, many of us in here would have the temptation to live lazy. What I mean by that is, ah, we just get back and then we know when April hits, I better get with it. Jesus is coming back. Or on the other side of that, we live in sin. And then when April comes, we repent of all our sin and we get right. See, the issue here is our only goal isn't heaven. We still have a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of people that need Jesus. And if the only goal to, to Jesus was heaven, and I'm not downplaying heaven, I love the thought. But if the only goal was to heaven, when you got born again, we might as well put you right up here before a firing squad and just shoot you right between the head and say, you're done. Go see Jesus. But that's not what the Lord wanted. He wanted us to live for Him right here on the earth and get as many people as we can. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man will be. And so He's telling me, as it was in the days of Noah, so will the second coming of the Lord Jesus 
they'll be just like they were in the days of Noah. So how was it in the days of Noah? Verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's a great warning right here. When I look at this, so let's back up just a minute. What was the highlights then of Noah's days? Eating and drinking. In other words, they were indulged with food and drinking. There was not a lot of self-control is what I see right here. And here they are, eating and drinking and partying. And, and listen to what the New Living says there. It says, there were banquets and partying and weddings. So their whole life was centered around food. And it said, then the flood came and it wiped them all out. And he said, it will be the same way when I come back the second time. Now Jesus right here, when I read this, he was very specific with what would occur or how it's going to look when he comes back the second time. Well, Pastor, we don't have a problem with that. Yeah, we do. We got a big problem. I was out and about just for a little while last night. And from my house, probably a mile and a half I went. And you got to realize, I know what I'm speaking on today. So I begin to take inventory of all the places I'm going by. Roughly 8 o'clock, maybe 8.30. Rosa's, the drive-up window is all the way to the street. Next door to Rosa's is Sheridan's. It's so busy, they're to the street. Then I get down to 82nd and Quaker. And Starbucks, 4 bucks, it's 5 bucks now. They're lined up right out the door. I mean, you can't even get in there. Behind it is Red Mango, full of people. The other side there is the one called Munchies, Minchies, something. They're lined up there. Across the street is the pie bar. They're lined up there. Now, you think about here in America, some of our greatest topics of conversation right now is, have you heard the new restaurant that's coming? Have you heard we're getting whatever? And we're consumed with it as a society. I mean, it doesn't matter what restaurant it is. They're all busy. Is God disappointed? No. The problem is, is when we allow this to start becoming the thing that controls my life. Even when you watch TV, how many TV programs have to deal with food? The Food Network. Duh. Man versus food. That dude's a beast. But I just think about all these things that are in our society. And right here, Jesus begins to warn us. And I think the warning was, don't get caught up with these cravings where they all are dictated by my flesh. Now back to to 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to go to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going backwards a little bit. And what I want to highlight here is this time the Apostle Paul uses himself as the example of what a mature Christian looks like and a person that understands self-discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 
Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run? There's that word all again. Every one of us, we all run. But one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, you're going to have to persevere. I can't quit. Oftentimes in this thing called life, this race called life, when it gets going tough, it would be wonderful to take two aspirin and go to your bed and pull the sheets up over your head. But that doesn't solve a lot of the issues. And so even right here, he's saying, listen, you're going to have to keep on running. You're going to have to stay in the race in order to obtain. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Now that word temperate there means he exercises self-control. He's disciplined. Everyone who runs in the race must be disciplined. Listen to what he says. In all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, a medal or a trophy, but we for an imperishable crown. So what he's telling me and you here, that come race day, if I haven't been disciplined to do what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to miss out on the prize. I'm going to be hindered because I had no self-discipline. Keep reading, verse 26. Therefore, I run. Thus, not with uncertainty. He's telling me here, I run with purpose. And me and you got to run with purpose. Kingdom purpose. I fight, not as one who beats the air, not as a shadow boxer. I, I discipline my body. I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection, least it gets out of subjection. Now, three great characteristics he said there is he said, I fight, I run, and I discipline my body. Those are great characteristics to talk about. And every one of those, it's going to take discipline. And it's going to take faith to believe God and trust God that he's going to work in our life. And he'll help you. Now, when he says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, you know what that tells me? If I don't discipline my body and bring it to its subjection, it's going to get out of subjection. And when my body gets out of subjection, you know what happens? It becomes the police officer in your life. It's the one that starts telling you, this is what you're going to do. And many of you can understand that, whether it's in the area of alcohol. Used to, alcohol had dominated me, and I didn't tell alcohol what to do. Alcohol told me what to do. But in this passage here, no matter what it is, there are certain things in each one of our lives that will start controlling you and dominating you. And he said, you're going to have to bring it under subjection. See, one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, is the fruit of self-control. Holy Spirit, I need self-control. I need self-control. Now just think about that, what that could be in your life today. Do you know in the first service, we had a lot, a lot of Cowboys fans. A lot of them. You know why they were here in the first service? Because they knew the game kicked off at 12.05. It's on right now. Suckers, it's on. I'm going to keep you all afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, what I say about that, is even, even pro football can become a god. When something as simple as a game called football will keep me from honoring God, 
See, I'm just throwing out little nuggets because it'll probably start labeling you. But even today here, it can be different things, whether it's food, whether it's football, whatever. He's telling me here, I've got to bring it under subjection. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Least when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know what he's saying? The person that can't live with self-control, self-discipline, and self-denial becomes disqualified. Listen what the Amplified says for that verse. It says, I buffet my body. Now that word buffet is spelled B-U-F-F-E-T. A lot of people like to say, I buffet my body. That doesn't mean, guys, that the Lord said, go to first today or Golden Corral and tear it up. That's not that word. He said, I buffet. Listen to the meaning of buffet. He said, you are to handle it roughly, to discipline by hardship and subdue it. Now, you know what that tells me right there? It's not always going to be easy. And so why am I on this? Well, I believe uh, one of the greatest ways we develop self-control, self-discipline, and self-denial in our life is when we fast. I believe that's one of the significance why Jesus was telling us to do it. He's saying, listen, guys, you're going to have to deal with your flesh roughly. You're going to have to uh, subdue it, and it may cause some hardships. But the benefits of it are great because anything in our life that dominates us, we leak spiritually. It'll start pushing the things of God out of your life. See, I either replenish myself with the things of God or I replenish myself with the things of this world. And here he's saying, get a hold of the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said in Luke 4, 4, he said, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what he was warning me and you there? He said, listen, boys and girls, it's not about always eating. There's times in your life your best food is going to be your spiritual food called the Word of God. The apostle, or uh, King David said in, in Psalm 35, 13, he said, I afflict myself by, by taking on a fast. I afflict myself. Now, I'm, I'm telling you right now. It's not a piece of cake. It's not easy to always do it. That's why a lot of people don't ever do it. But even King David understood the reward. One of the greatest chapters you can read on this is Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, it talks about that when you fast or take on a fast, the yokes in your life are brought down or destroyed. And what he's talking about, yokes there, are things that I'm enslaved to. See, when we fast like he's asking us to do, it's a physical exercise that has spiritual results. It has spiritual victories. Just as giving takes discipline and faith, praying takes discipline and faith, and so does fasting. And I truly believe this today. There's ones in this room that God's had great things for you. But because I'm dominated by other things, he hadn't been able to move in our lives like he wants to. And the biggest thing I want us to heed today is the same warning that he told them in Matthew. What's going to happen in these end days? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.